Hi, Craig Lieberman here, technical advisor for the first Fast and Furious movies. Don't blame all of that out on me. You're watching Vibe 105.5. This is Vibe Talks, exclusively on Vibe 105. Hey, everybody, this is Giancarlo Alino reporting for Vibe 105 with a Vibe Talk segment. And I am happy to be joined by my guest today who's uh, making his return here to the Vibe 105 airwaves. He was a technical advisor for the first Fast and the Furious film and Too Fast, Too Furious. He's Craig Lieberman. How you doing, Craig? Doing good. Still in California, or I like to call it uh, South America. Last time you uh, joined us, it was uh, the 20th anniversary of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Fast 9 was just uh, coming on into the theater. It's disappointing (laughs) audiences all around the globe. I joke about it, but the honest thing is I am not 19 years old anymore, as you can probably guess. And I'm not the target audience. I don't know why they're not making movies for 55-year-old guys, (laughs) but we had our day. I, I can't be mad. When it's on Fast 10 now, like, is this surreal in a way? Because you were a part of it, like, from the start and you saw everything grow and morph into what it is. Like, is it surreal to you when you see that they're at the 10th film right now? No, it makes me very happy. Got to remember, Universal was my client. So obviously, I want them to succeed. So, you know, I'm producing content for YouTube. So I have to kind of bash. But you, if you watch my videos, I say, well, if you're the target audience, you're going to love this movie. And then the same thing happens here. This movie is going to be over the top. I'm not into space, but. <laughs> But it's going to be over the top. It's going to be some great action. And if you're into that stuff and you've seen, if you're still following the franchise after Fast 7, that means you're their special audience, which you mean you really like this stuff. So if you like this stuff, you're going to love this movie. But if you still understand anything about physics or military training, was there a a movie that I missed that they went to Navy SEAL school? Because I must have missed it, that one. Maybe I was getting my AARP card that day. I don't know, whatever it is. But you got to understand and you got to realize that they're still blowing up cool cars. So if you like a car movie, it's hard to say that it's not really a carlo movie, but they're destroying a whole bunch of cars, which means that the ones that survive are going to go up in value because 20 years from now, there's going to be no gasoline cars on the road, right? And everybody looking for a a six-cylinder Dodge Charger, right? (laughs) With a wide body kit and uh, no mufflers. (laughs) <laughs> and they're blowing up all those cars. So, and this uh, film now, like you mentioned it there, just the physics of some of the previous ones. Like Dominic Toretto has been uh, a man who stresses the importance of family, but in the recent films, he's willingly taking his wife and driving off a cliff. So. And just the plot lines in there, does that uh, make you... <laughs> I think if I jump off this cliff, the car will go up without a ramp, catch the front tire on a piece of vine, which I don't know if you ever tried to pull on a piece of vine, they fall apart, like hence a 4,000 pound car with two people in it. And it swings the momentum, gives him enough trajectory to put it on a cliff. Have you ever tried to go 360 on a swing set? It doesn't work. Mythbusters pr- proved that it can't work without rocket motors. So here am I sitting here. Something seems sus. Just from the start, like this, obviously uh, the franchise started with them going and uh, getting DVD players out of back of a truck. And now it turned into a heist film. So what are your thoughts on uh, the trajectory of the franchise and the shift once probably fast five, it went into fast six and it went into more espionage. I mean, when they, where were they going to go? They can't keep stealing uh, DVD players. I think they were seeing stealing VHSs, if I'm not mistaken. Now I have to go back and watch it. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Maybe there were some CD players, but I do remember seeing VCRs, but it is what it is. But the, the movie touched a nerve with the, with, the, with the audience because up until that point, and were you even born then? Can I ask that question? Yeah. You? 
1995. So I was a young kid uh, watching it. Old. Yeah. Six years old, growing it up, watching it on VHS for the next six years. By the time you're 13, you, you figured out that you absolutely can drive already because you got all gold laces in, in, in Gran Turismo, right? Yeah. So you were ready to get the keys. <laughs> like my son, right? But the trajectory, where you're going to go after you do street racing, what is else left? I wrote a script many years ago where Paul Walker was gets mixed up with a guy who's a repo guy. And now Paul Walker is a canyon racer, right? And so they go up to Mulholland, which is a big canyon out here in Southern California. And there's all these guys, these doctors, lawyers, and captains of industry racing the Ferraris and, and Lamborghinis down the down the road. And he's got this little dilapidated uh, R34 GTR. And he's, he's smoking everybody going down the thing, right? And people start getting mad. And so when these doctors lose their cars, they report them stolen. And then they're shipped overseas and they sell it for, for insurance fraud, right? And there's a repo guy that he meets him, a guy like, uh, what was that? You know, Andrew Dice Clay, you know that guy? Yeah, yeah. The comedian. comedian and a guy to try to follow. You go to Tokyo, which was my favorite movie. I think it was the best one, most real one. And then they go to four where uh, they're drug runners from the board. I can see that every day, KTLA News Channel 5 here in Los Angeles. It happens every day. And now these days, media, but I'm seeing freeway pursuits every day, wow. every day. And I'm like, fast 12 right here, right here. Where's, to, where's Toretto? <laughs> so, I mean, they're really going to have to ramp it up because today's reality was yesterday's action movie. Yeah. Even like on that, like Paul Walker has been a, a topic of discussion as of late because there's that debate of whether they should include his character in the film, whether they shouldn't. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that it maybe uh, it's disrespectful or do you think it's a positive light to have him in the movie? Both of his daughter and his family said that they wanted to see him back to come back. Okay. And the, the truth of the matter is they don't know what to do with it. They have they to please everybody. A lot of people are saying he's gone, right? He got this send off in Fast 7, now milking with the franchise and just dangling him. He just keeps, they keep doing, that's what pisses me off. In every movie since 7, they keep dangling him. Paul is back. Paul is back. They show pictures of Paul to make people get, get into the theater, hopefully to get some closure where he, where he is. The ridiculousness is in the last couple of movies, he's been daddy daycare. He sends yeah. his wife to go out and fight for him and he's, who's, he's taking care of the kids. Didn't they get make a bunch of money in Fast and 8 or Fast 9, whatever it was, when they, the, the 7 one, when they uh, stole the vaults and all that? Yeah. Okay. So they were supposed to retire that time. And then one more ride, one more ride, the last ride, the next to the last ride. This is the next to the next to the light to the last ride. And this time we really mean it. <laughs> They're just tangling, like, like tangling in a promise of Paul coming back. In this movie, they said it again. And what they're really doing is backfilling this, uh, the plot from the Jason Momoa thing. But he was not in the movie, right? There yeah. was no Dante and all the kind of stuff. And then, so they have to put Paul's face in there to, to fill in some slots. And now with CG, you can do that using uh, Cody's face, you know, his face structure and all that kind of stuff. So they're milking it. He's getting paid. We're still not bringing him back. Paul Walker back in any measure, uh, meaningful role except for flashbacks and all that kind of stuff. But I know they're holding it for flat, Fast 11. So Fast 11 is going to be a circle. It's going to be the last film in this series. And then there'll be a break for a while until Universal starts running out of money. And then they're going to start Fast and Furious, the next generation. We pick up Dominic Toretto's kid and Paul Walker, or Brian 
uh, Spillner's kid. In high school, they meet on a street race and blah, 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 blah. And they get in some bad work and the family has to come back. Now it's for the kids. Some bullshit. <laughs> and they'll introduce a, a, a new, a old new generation to it. Maybe even with EVs. It's going to be a weird theory, or maybe not. A lot of kids today don't even drive. They don't want to drive. You got Uber, you got self-driving cars coming online, all that kind of stuff. It's a changing landscape. Some of it's going to be really good. Some of it's going to be cool. Some of it is going to piss us old guys off. The guys who start putting car sounds on their electric car, I'm sorry. Okay, you can get away with that in junior high school. I get it. I, I appreciate it. But these are grown men. <laughs> what do we do? It. It's just a different world, but a change. Some of it, I said, is good. But they, they keep packing the theaters, man. Yeah. But the real barometer is, is the box office take. Okay. Fast Seven did 1.5 billion. Fast Eight did 1.2. And the next movie, what uh, well, I got to look at the box up. I don't think Fast Nine did all that well, did it? So the the movie recipe for success is five times. So it's five x. So it really needs to make five x. Anything below that, you're getting that. And if it's only three x, it's ooh, that's not good. Investors are not very happy. Just on this topic of like box office, what was the target that the studio was looking for at the time for the original film? Well, again, five times, right? That's typically the thing. It was a the movie was initially supposed to only have a $25 million budget. The, my boss, David Martyr, was married to a, a lady named Cool Martyr, K-O-O-L-R. She was one of the heads of the studio, and she helped them get them a bigger budget because walk and talk movies back then, you know, if you do a movie like When Harry Met Sally, where you're just walking on the street and you have controlled sets, that's a $25 million movie, okay? If you have anything with cars, you're talking about 50 million bucks. Wow. Easy. So they got 39, right? And then and they made 211 domestic or worldwide, I think it was, and 150 domestic. And then Fast 2, Too Fast, Too Furious, they spent 85 million and it did, it did not do good. I think it was like 240. It made 236, 236 million. And that was a stupid story. It was really ridiculous. It's a horrible thing. <laughs> but ironically, Tokyo Drift, you know what that movie made? Was that the lowest grossing? Yep, 159 wow. million bucks. And that was all street racing, that movie. So is that when you think they decided that it wasn't going to sell for them? Street racing movies don't sell tickets. And, and that was drifting. In the, not the, whole, the whole world had not heard about drifting. Right. So it was, they were too early with that movie, I think. Now, if they had done it in 26, 20, 2006, 2007, when did it come out? I want to say it was like 20, it was, it was June of 20, 2006. I thought it was a year earlier. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty much in the meat of the, the, the drift thing. Well, here in the United States, but pro- probably past the prime in Japan because they've been doing it for a decade and a half before that and so forth. So that wasn't great. And the budget for that movie was like 85 million as well. So it was not good. Wow. Were you a part of uh, Universal's like original discussions for Fast and Furious when they brought back Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, or did you not have anything to do with that at the time? Well, Too Fast, Too Furious, what happened was when I was working on Too Fast, Too Furious, when I first read the script, I immediately realized that Vin Diesel wasn't involved. Um, But my boss filled me in. So and meetings. I, I sat in a meeting at Universal Pictures with Scott Stuber, who was at the, who was at the time the uh, vice president of the studio, the whole thing, the whole thing, right? In production. So 
So we're sitting there with about 20 people at the table, and I had already gone through the, the, the script and so forth and realized that there's no Vin Diesel and think, I don't know how this thing's going to make it without Vin Diesel. And Paul Walker, I didn't think was very strong. And then when I got back from that meeting, my boss said to me, Vin's not here because he's off doing Riddick and, oh, and yeah. Triple X, right? He was doing Triple X. Rob Cohen, the director, brilliant guy. He figured out initially before the first movie, I, I listened to him talk about Paul Walker, like he's going to be the next Steve McQueen, which didn't pan out. You know why? Because Paul Walker is not really an actor. He, he told me that a hundred times, a hundred times. I'm not an actor. They keep paying me to be put me in these movies. So if it's got <laughs> guns, surfing or cars, I'm in, I'm in bro. <laughs> and if you look at all of his movies, one of those things is in that. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, a deal breaker. Yeah. But he's just a down to earth guy really was. Okay. So he had no imagination or ego about this kind of stuff. He was just a, a teenager you know, in a man's body running around and living the life. La vida loca, I think uh, Vin Diesel will say. So then Vin Diesel went off to be the other thing. And Rob said to me, uh, Vin Diesel is going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, which didn't oh, happen. Wow. It didn't happen. And so then Justin Lin, when he was hired to come and give new life to the franchise with Tokyo Drift, he had a poolside meeting with Vin Diesel and said, uh, we want you to come back. And he said, I will do that if you give me the rights to, was it Riddick? And to finish out that series, which I think he's working on this now, something else beyond Fast and Furious. I think that's going to be a comeback of some sort, if I read the tabloids right. And then now Riddick went out. The first movie did, eh, uh, I mean, Triple X. Box off or something. I don't think that movie did very well, but like 150 million, I think. 142 to one, $142 million bucks. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, and a big budget too for those kind of movies. Yeah, but it made 132 over uh, outside of the world. I mean, outside of the USA. So 277. It's not terrible. Vin Diesel got 10 million payout on that one movie. That's not cheap. Yeah, that's a nice little payday for him. Well, considering he only made like a million dollars for Fast and Furious 1. Yeah, like even that, like he comes back at the end of uh, Tokyo Drift and then that's when they set the stage. Do you think like that was always a goal? Because I remember Fast Five when that came out, that was part of the commercials like you were talking about before. This is the last ride. Like was that under Universal's uh, vision there that after five, that was going to be over? They're freaking winging it, man. And they're <laughs> <laughs> As long as it makes money, man. I mean, if you have a property and people keep coming back to see it, right? You go with it until it runs out of gas. And I thought I ran out of gas in Fast 9 with the space shit. Yeah. <laughs> but in my circle, I don't know about your circle, but my circle, what's going on is all my friends are car people. I mean, car people. I have people who are in their 40s now, lawyers, um, captains of industry, if you want to call it, uh, investors, all that kind of stuff. They grew up with the franchise. You know, it's 20 years on now. We don't even go to them to see those movies anymore, Craig. We don't even go. We don't wow. even take our kids. We wait for them to come on cable. And we show the kids the first couple of movies, the first three movies. We skip all the other ones. They're just completely over. It's, you know, if you're watching a movie about old men and you're not an old man, you don't really care. I bet you've never seen a movie called Grumpy Old Men. Heard about it. Not seen okay. it from start to finish, but heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> not your jam. I don't expect you to watch that movie because you have no idea who these actors are and why they were famous and what their shtick was. Okay. So, and I get it, but I'm in, I'm in a weird, but the, the basic thing that's going on here is it has turned a whole generation into car people. Yeah. Uh, I am getting on a plane in two days. I'm going to Belgium and I'm going there as an invite and they're paying me to come out to be a guest at their show 
and sign autograph pictures. I have 800 pictures in my suitcase to, to sell and, and I'm going to run out Wow! because people come up. I was there in Holland for a car show in October. Um, I was there for the weekend. I think I sat, signed 2,500 autographs. You go to floor, I mean, to foreign country. My wife is my manager. So she's standing there in the wings with the clipboard over there. The little kids, get the kids, the kids, they're shaking. They're shaking. They come up to me, wow. Mr. Lieberman, I love the work you did at Fast and Furious as a professional shopper. You buy these wheels. You should buy this wing. You should buy, the- oh, no, 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 no. You can't put that button there. No, no, no. This is how you put the wheels on it. Da, 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 da. This is what would look cool on the car. You- what? Yes, no, well, 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 that kind of stuff. Yes, you can borrow my cars. Off you go. Out of that, a professional shopper and somebody doing what I do very well, give everybody else advice on how to do (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect for me. Perfect job for me. But the the credit really belongs for the guys who are putting all the parts on these cars, the people at at Universal, Rob Cohen, Neil Moritz, who believed in that we were trying to introduce a modicum of authenticity. And we, we know they're going to do some creative license and they're going to do some exaggeration stuff. Diamond plate full, floorboards flawed off the car, right? Cars hit going from 60 miles an hour to 240 miles an hour by, by hitting the NOS. <laughs> <laughs> no consideration of the gear ratio or the RPM range of the vehicle. All the it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a movie. It's a, and today I still get kids, you know, 12 years old. Oh, I'm going to put nitrous on my dad's Buick Regal. Oh, no, wow. you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> but it, you know, it got a whole show. I'm going to show in Belgium and after that. And then fall, I'll be going back to Holland. Uh, but the great thing is, I'm going to see my old Supra. The guy who owns my Supra has a collection of Fast and Furious cars from the first two movies. So I saw it again for the first time after 20 years in Holland in October. Go over there and see it in Belgium, and I'm going to drive it for the first time in 20 years. That's crazy. Wow. nuts. Is it like nostalgic feeling for you when you go there? Like you see the car that was identified now with the franchise and now like seeing it again after so much time. All right. There's two special moments I will never forget. Well, as many special moments, but, but about that car. When the movie was coming out, it was called Redliner initially. Okay, so I wrapped up my work for them in, I think, October of 2000, and the movie was coming out in June of 2001. It was still called Redline. I, I got my last paycheck from my, my work with Universal because I was there for the beginning of it, before, you know, pre-production, through production, all through production, race wars, I was there, editing, music, audio recording inside the studio, driving the cars on the on a, a runway to get a sound bite, doing 140 miles an hour, my super on a, on a runway with a guy holding a microphone in the middle of the runway as I go by home at 140 miles an hour. I mean, I had, I saw so much of the production. It turns out being a technical advisor, you get to see so much of the production process. After that, they had me doing events with Paul Walker. We were flying up and down the coast, something in California, Washington, all that stuff. Talking to Paul, talking about cars. He signed on autographs. Nobody knew who it was. And then marketing events. And then they flew me over to Britain to the, do the launch over there and talk to the people of the, the British press and the European press. I was there for the press. I was there for all kinds of stuff. So I got to see all this stuff. And then Too Fast, Too Furious was pretty much the same thing. They put me in the back end of the DV, you know, this behind the scenes of the DV, and it just didn't go away. It just didn't go away. So it was four years of my life. But for the first movie, what really got me was I was driving home from work. I was working at Wilshire and uh, La Cienega, a downtown right next to the penthouse building. On It was a, a posh neighborhood. So I'm driving home from work, and I was working for Super Street Magazine. And I look up 
off of, I think that was La Cienega. There's a giant billboard and there's a picture of the movie poster, the green, greenish Supra. And it caught my eye. I had never seen any of that artwork, nothing. The artwork wasn't even out yet. The movie burners weren't out yet. And now I was happy for a second and I was pissed. My car's not green. Oh, <laughs> what did you do? It's, my car is orange. They, they blended the they clip. And uh, for a minute, I had a tear in my eye. I was like, um, I was with the Chrome cars people. We were doing a car, nice fabric car covers cars. And the cars that were still covered up front, and I was helping them. And then there's one more car. I'm walking over there. And they pull it up, and it's orange. And I'm like, what is it? I had no idea. Because Chrome cars does not own my Supra. But they're friends with the guy who does own my Supra. And they brought it there, even though it wasn't running. There was something wrong with one of the fuel pumps because the car never gets run. It just sits there for, it's been sitting for 20 years. So I pull it up and it's my car. And I know immediately, immediately because I can see through the hood vents and I can see almost all my stuff. And I get in the car and all the smells are still there. Everything is there's just as the way it was. And I was like, and I don't know if you know this, but if you've been around cars long enough, some of these older cars, you can get in. I mean, you know, an old Volkswagen just by the smell, an old 1960 Chevy just by the smell of the interior, all that kind of stuff. And so when you get older, you remember that from your childhood, you know, and I grew up in that era. So yeah, I definitely had a tear in my eye about that one as well. When I drive it this way, it's going to be very sentimental. You don't know when you're going to drop dead, you know? I have friends who are dropping dead in their 40s, for God's sakes, right? So I take every day at a time, and I appreciate every experience that I have, and I appreciate the fan support. You know, they, they give me way too much credit for my little, very small contribution, being in the right place at the right time, with the right car, and with the right people uh, who would listen and then take it from there and put their own flair on it to make this franchise a success. So I wish them all the best. Just even on that, like uh, you're talking about the car, how nostalgic it is. And I saw even on your YouTube channel, Just Driven, uh, the collaboration you had with them. How did that all come about? Because I'm sure like fans of the franchise too, when they're seeing it, it's all coming back together, the tribute vehicle. Like how did that all come about? So Daryl and I go way back. I met Daryl many years ago when he had a place right next to John Wayne Airport. He was good friends with Paul Walker. Paul at the time was driving a uh, 66 Chevy 2, a dark gray one, and Daryl's warehouse. It wasn't very big. I think it was probably 4,000 feet or something like that. But he had a whole bunch of cars in there, including a couple of Skylines, uh, R35s, two R35s and and a couple of R34s. So I didn't realize that uh, Daryl was friends with Paul Walker. Okay, so this was around 2000. That's got to be around 2005, 2004, something like that. And so that's how I got to meet him. And I have, I've heard his name around. And then uh, how did we get hooked up again a couple of years ago? So he called me up. Uh, we were, at one point, we had a discussion about building a replica of, of the Supra. And he asked me if I could help, you know, for the authenticity of all that kind of stuff. So we started putting together a plan. He's got a great team over there. So I was basically, yes, you need these parts, this parts, these parts, which we'll look around to get them. If we can't get them, we'll do 3D printed, you know, that kind of stuff and do that. And then off we went. So these guys worked their off. They painted that car. They did the body kit. They had to recreate the body kit because you can't find those kits anymore. So they find a decent one and then they have to put it on the car and fix everything and make their own molds. I mean, it was a lot of work that went into that car. So they were about, I think, $250,000 into that car, including buying the car, fixing it. And I mean, they changed all the rubber moldings, which is almost impossible to find that these days. But I think they painted that car twice. <laughs> It was a rotisserie build that was stripped down to the frame. It was it would turn around like a rotisserie t- chicken, you know? So it was built the right way. And it's a magnificent car. I got a chance to drive and it's fast. But 
getting in the car is not the same thing and driving the car because you're talking about 2023 technology, right? Yeah. And you're talking about you know production processes and things that you can do that you couldn't do back then, like all those stupid Band-Aid tuning devices, you know. And now it's it's a standalone ECU and everything works perfectly. It idles perfectly, all that kind of stuff. I wonder if the air conditioners are on that car because if that's car, if the car has no air conditioning, that's a big no-no for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a magnificent build, and they're doing a Dodge Charger as well. It's it's a one-to-one recreation, even better than the movie car that, that they sent to us. Uh, so this one's going to be great. We have some things going on with that. We are working with a person that you might know by the name of the Stig. I haven't heard of the Stig. I researched that, though. No, do you know? Do you ever watch Top Gear? No, haven't seen it. I know. I, <laughs> I got to watch that now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you are a car guy, everybody knows the Stig, the first, well, not the first Stig, the second Stig. We're going to do something with those cars with the Stig. Okay. So we got, and it's a big deal. He's the guy, the anonymous race driver that they use for road test and top gear that went on for like 15 years or something like that. So we're going to do that. So that's another thing we're working on. And then another thing working up um, in the racing world, Formula One, you, I know you know about Formula One, yeah. right? uh, There was a famous race dra- driver called Nicky Lauda. And his, his rival was a guy by the name of James Hunt. He was that 1960s, 1970s race car driver, playboy, betting two women at a night, that kind of stuff, smoking, drinking, partying, playboy stuff, all that. He was a, he was a character and a half. He was everything you would think you uh, Hefner would have been in the late 1960s and the 1970s. Well, he happens to have a son. Well, guess what he does? He's a race car driver. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm helping him, him and him and his team to help look at get sponsors and put together some kind of feature about him, whether it's a movie or a documentary. He looks a lot like his dad, man. It's crazy. Just being a part of these projects too, like just driven like the Tribute model, uh, this new venture that you're going to be doing, the Formula One. When you're doing these projects, like oh, there's a lot of it looking towards your Fast and the Furious stuff. I don't think that's the common denominator. The, the thing is, um, I've been in the automotive aftermarket in one way or another for 40 years. My first job was busting tires at a gas station with the work permit. And then I worked at a, a speed shop. I just, one way or another, I've been in the automotive marketing scene for a long, long time. Uh, NGK Sparkbugs gave me a whole bunch of uh, experience working w- with race teams, um, working with engineers manufacturers. So I got some of that. Ibox Springs was another company. Magnaflow was another company. So, But my thing is marketing. It's, it's telling the story in a way that attracts people to your adventure and they want to be a part of it and then try and cash in on that, whether it's sponsorship or exposure or both. And so that is the one thing that I think is really my strong suit. I'm a compelling storyteller, as other people suggest. I just talk like I talk, but people think that I'm a good storyteller. So it, it basically has done me very, very well in my life. But I just tell every story with passion, you know, Yeah. because it's exciting. If it's not exciting, it's just an experience that I file in my Rolodex at the back of my brain. And I don't talk about it anymore. Oh yeah, that that uh, root canal. Yeah, no, we won't talk about that. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> yeah, it won't be an exciting story on that. <laughs> not really, not really, not really. <laughs> Also on the topic of like the car scene, you were part of a documentary there on Vice TV where uh, icons on earth, they're looking at the behind the scenes of the Fast and the Furious. Was there anything about it that surprised you that uh, maybe you were, didn't see about like at the time that you finally came to your attention now that you learned about the process? 
There wasn't one of the later episodes. I have to go back and watch it. The, the biggest surprise is that, is that they actually called me. You oh, you're a big part of that. You have to. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a technical advisor. <laughs> and I made that clear to the lady on the phone. This is what I did. Yada, yada, yada. And they brought me in. I was supposed to be in there for an hour. I was there for six hours. I had, and they had already inter- interviewed three people before they came in be- before me. Wow. They didn't tell us about that. Yeah, they wouldn't have, would they? <laughs> The one with the Dodge Durango goes off the off the bridge. Uh, and then I realized that I had my picture book. I had my picture book sticking here. So a lot of the pictures that you see in that thing for those crashes and all that kind of stuff, the right came right out of my picture book. Wow. And then I have video footage that I took with my own personal camcorder at Too Fast, Too Furious, all that stuff at the warehouse, all my footage. So I loaned it to them and they gave me so much great credit. They put me at the top of the credits for, for contributors. I was like, this is so great. And it wasn't just one episode. I think they put me on three episodes and in, in, in a lot of stuff. But uh, it's one of these days, Dennis MacArthur is going to have to get on that show because he's been building the car since Tokyo Drift. He and his team, there were a lot of credit for what they've done. Some of the most fantastic movie cars you'll ever see. Unfortunately, they're transient. They come into the scene for like a minute, a minute and a half, and then they're gone and you never see them again. And I think that's a tragedy because... So much work goes into those cars for these people. They, they crazy deadlines, over budget stuff, you know, just craziness. The trip is shipping them up all across the world, maintaining it. Those guys are amazing. But everybody in my circle is all about the tuner cars. So they're just kind of like, oh, these movies aren't our jam anymore. If I see one more damn Dodge Charger, I'm going to kill myself. And that's the thing that comes up, though. <laughs> First thing, it's a Charger. So. But it's worked. If you take a look at intersection takeover videos, you ever watch those? <laughs> All of those Dodge Chargers, right? One or challenge. And you take a look at traditional audiences change. Back in the old days, it was old white guys driving Dodge Chargers and Dodge Challengers. Now it's young people of different descent. It's very big in the, in the Latino community and the black community now. Back in the old days, you'd never see that. Never, never. Going back to the 60s and 70s, you would not see... A, a Latino driver pull up in a, a street racing challenger. It was just unheard of. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Nope. Not unless you have a, you know, a professional drag race team. But it's you know, diversified uh, automotive hobby, which is a good thing. More people in it, more money for everybody, right? But the intersection takeover stuff is uh, not a good thing. Definitely. And uh, just even transitioning a little bit here to cars and uh, car culture, what are your thoughts on like the whole debate there are electric vehicles now coming in like to, uh, the production of uh, gas motor vehicles like what are your thoughts on that uh, I, I put up a video uh, was two weeks ago about uh, should we ban EVs at car shows okay and that stirred some <laughs> my thing was this if you go to a car show the whole point that you go to the whole reason you go to a car show you want to see stuff that that's that's unusual yeah. modified interesting creative now imagine paying 25 dollars to walk into a car show to see 450 bone stock toyota camrys that you see every day on the freeway right if you drive into southern california here you will see a thousand uh, teslas every day and they're basically five colors there's white there's black there's gray and then candy red right Pretty much, it may be a dark blue. They are nothing special. They, they're totally soulless. They're appliances, right? They are totally soulless. These are just transportation. They're like toaster ovens. Now, I'm not bashing them. I, I, I really admire 
Elon Musk and what he's doing with it. And I know electric cars are going to be part of our transportation future, whether it's all of it or anything. But I'm going into this with an open mind. In fact, I got a call from a, a guy I know for 20 years, and he invited me to the EV Expo in, at Long Beach on May 20th. And so I changed my plans to go to that thing because he says, we have a whole bunch of modified Teslas coming there and other EVs. And you should come down and take a look. I did my research and I definitely want to see these cars. I want to see what the future is. I've driven a Tesla Plaid. It was fantastic. But the simple fact of the matter, if you put that power into 16 years old, then they're going to be a lot of dead kids. Mm -hmm. A lot of dead kids. Zero to 90 in like four seconds. No, we're going to have some problems with that. I think these cars are going to get better. They have been. I mean, I'm, look, I'm looking at Hyundai and Kia. Uh, the Ionic, I look at great car. There's some great cars. They're going to come around, but they are going to be appliances. They're just not going to have the soul. I mean, you can customize them wheels and maybe fender flares and make them look kind of cool. But if it sounds like the Jetsons spaceship, you know, that car- cartoon, the Jetsons, and our people are going to go to the Long Beach Grand Prix when you have 20 of those things running down the track. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just going to be a different thing. But but you can say the same thing about RC cars. And I was a huge fan of RC cars. It's not the sound that they make. It's the fact that you're driving it. Now, this would be a great way to do racing. Everybody got a car in the crowd and they can control their own car on the track. Now, that would I would watch. <laughs> if you put 20 Teslas on a track and everybody got an RC controller or radio controller, you get to control your own car. I'm watching that. <laughs> a melee on the racetrack. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. I'm not the, uh, I'm not uh, afraid of change because I went through the period when carburetors uh, were on cars, right? And then they had leaded gas. And then as soon as they changed to a unleaded gas, these cars couldn't make the compression. So they were slow. The Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am had a big giant motor in it, big V8. It made 150 horsepower, 150. Most if you ask a kid how much horsepower you think that made, 500. Nope, 150. And then we got computers and cars. And every said, oh my God, that's it. That's the end of the world. We'll never be able to tune cars. I'm tuning my car from my iPhone right now, right? I can change the tune in my car just from my iPhone through the computer. Wow. So I'm not resistant to change in any uh, way, shape, or form. But I just feel like right now, as things stand, these cars have no soul. So bringing a bunch of stock Teslas to a car show where they're Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Koenigseggs, Bugatti, Veyrons, and you park them in that same row of these things. I was like, what are you doing? What? And there was a comedian that was said, I, I watched a video last week. And he said, you know what? This or is actually a YouTuber said, in our day, if your car was not a show car, you didn't show up. You parked, parked at the back of the parking lot by the Denny's, okay? You didn't roll your shit in there. You got a busted fender. Your, your headlight doesn't work. Car is not painted. You park over there and you walk over. You walk over. Don't bring that shit into this car show. A little elitist because basically the, the, in, what, the inclusivity crowd has taken over now. And everybody says, respect everybody's build. <laughs> right now, he's in the middle of a repair. He's not building anything. It's a repair. <laughs> You can't find the fender. You come in here and your, your trim is falling off the car and all that. Oh, yeah, but it's really rare. Yeah, but you know what? A 1974 a Toyota Caressa is not a sports car. It's not. I mean, it's but, something I can't go to the 2012 Toyota Corolla and show up like, and park right beside these uh, tuner cars. No, you can park it over there by in and out. Yeah. So what I said, to, what I proposed, and this I was doing tongue in cheek because I would go oh, come, an incorrigible smart ass. I said, if you're going to bring, te- bring a Tesla to a, a car show in a big parking lot go park by best buy with the rest of the appliances <laughs> <laughs> but i uh, obviously i'm joking people don't think that i'm joking because they don't know me well enough because pretty much everything that comes out of mouth is 
satire. So you have to be cognizant of that. But it is what it is. I think people are just falling out of favor with cars. Another 50 years from now, people are just going to recognize them for what they are. Cool looking because the manufacturer take it it made it look cool, but ultimately it's just another tool like a hair dryer or a vacuum cleaner. And that makes me happy that I will be dead by then because I want to have to see the dissolution of something that's been going on for more than a century and has employed tens and hundreds of thousands of people and created all new innovation stuff. So it's just going to change, but we had a good run. Yeah. And so I'm hoping these young kids get into cars one way or another. Maybe by then Fast and the Furious 25, we'll get them into the whole EV scene. Never know. One last roll and they're all rolling out in wheelchairs, <laughs> electric <laughs> wheelchairs. But I had a good uh, meeting with the guy at Symposium with uh, one of the, the stunt directors, Terry Leonard at Barrett Jackson two years ago. Terry Leonard, okay, he's, he, he used to get bar fights with John Wayne. So I said, let me ask you a question. The electric cars are coming. What are you going to do when you're doing stunt sequences? We're just going to dub in V8 engines. And I go, really? (laughs) So I'm going to see a Tesla going by with that engine sounds of a Hellcat Dodge Charger. Something doesn't compute. (laughs) (laughs) They don't care anything about realism. All they care about is selling movie tickets. And that's what they should be doing. And uh, Craig, just even on that, like a couple final questions here, uh, your Instagram page, everybody that follows it knows that uh, you go live from time to time and you're at uh, Cars and Coffee and it looks like a fun atmosphere over there. You get to see all the cars, like all the car people that go around. What do you enjoy most about interacting uh, with the car community? And is there any cars that have surprised you since you've gone? Well, that show brings some great cars out there. At any time, you can see $10 million in one row. Easy, easy. Sometimes you can get $20 million in just one row. There's about 4,000 to 5,000 cars there every Saturday. It's the largest weekly cars and coffee show anywhere in the world. And that has everything to do with the guy who runs it, Simon, where his wife and his family run it. They have like 40 volunteers that work at that event. If you do burnouts, if you rev your engine, they kick you out. There's a police station on the premise. They have the ability to control the parking lot and banish you and, and arrest you for trespassing. If you come back, we, they, they publicly shame these people on social media. This is your car. This is your license plate. You're not coming back. If you do, you're going to get arrested for trespassing. So they don't mess around. So this, this is what happens, what needs to happen with all these other car shows. And people don't do it because they don't get that kind of permission. So these car shows that keep shutting down. The, that car show has been in five different places since I've been in South County. Pelican Hill, uh, Newport Beach, Aliso Viejo, Irvine, and now here in uh, South Coast Plaza, I mean, excuse me, the South OC outlets. So this is the last rah-rah. If this doesn't survive, that's going to be the end of mass car shows in Orange County because if this can't can't be controlled, then we'll have to bring in the National Guard to, to take care of this stuff so it's really a shame enjoy it still like just seeing it like everybody coming up and it's still enjoyable experience you know real car people have broad interests right and i know there's a lot of corvette guys who bring out their patio furniture and they just sit there you know and that's their jam that's fine and everything i walk the roads i talk to people i know a lot of people around there because they're local Uh, some people will know me for my work my car is not kind of stuff and it's nice to talk to young people like that and i've had a little a few disciples attached they, they come and ask me questions about can I what kind of career I should do and that kind of stuff. So they're really into cars. And I try to encourage that where their parents aren't because it always kept me out of trouble. It was always about my car and my girlfriend. So I'm hoping these people come in. But so it's a fun thing. It's diversity. You got whatever you want to see. You want to see trucks, overlanders. You want to see old cars. You want to see new cars, JDM classics, Europeans. Most people are very well behaved. You know, I'm not a big fan of having 20 Dodge Challengers 
with no modifications in the same parking lot or the same Dodge Chargers. It's really not interesting to me, but it is a gathering place for them and they're car people. And so they're doing something safe. They're doing something legal. They're enjoying the company of other car people. How could you not welcome these people? Just even like, I remember two years ago when uh, you came on here and talked about, you had the R34, Paul Walker's uh, R34. Like when you brought it there, like what was the reaction? Like did everybody right away know it was from the movie? Well, that car was not the movie car. It looked movie? like the movie car. It wasn't the movie car. It was Paul Walker's personal car. I oh. wish he would paint it in another color because it gets confused. I just said, mentioned that in my video again today. It was very confusing with these cars because it's a bit difficult for them to tell them apart, especially when they have the exact same body kit in the same color. So I can understand the, the confusion. Well, the only people who come to look at that car are, the, are JDM guys, and they lose their mind because it's very rare to see one of those things on the road at L any t- at any time. And when they are, it's just, it shuts the show down. You see the guys walk away from the Lamborghinis. I can see that anyway, Loop Warp Beach. They're 50 or I'm on the freeway every bloody day. And you get jaded, right? When you see the R34 and they're just losing it. This car was a borrowed car. It's got owned by a guy from uh, Instagram called 458 Destroyer. And uh, he, he loaned the car to me for the summer. He just sent it out to me. Hey, Craig, give me some press of this car. Was it like uh, like everything he did in that car? Like, was it still uh, from when he owned it or were there modifications to it since then? No, he hadn't t- it hadn't been touched, really. Oh, wow. It was the way it was. was. So it was a time capsule, you know. But a lot of people got to sit in the cars. I let the sick kids sit in cars. You know, you know, if you're under 12 or something like that, a lot of sit in the car. And they really, I mean, some of these kids are crying in the car because it's just some way to touch Paul Walker. I mean, you got to remember Paul Walker, whether he liked it or not, he became an ambassador of, of the tuner hobby, right? By, by desire or by accident, it doesn't matter. That's the, that's the truth of it. It's true. Because I remember even being in high school at the time, like everybody would identify him as being that character and everybody would identify him with cars. So like even when he passed away, like the unfortunate circumstances, do you think his legacy should be that he was just for the car community type of thing? Or do you think it should be more than that? Well, he started a, a, a charity called Reach Out Worldwide is now being administrated by his brother, his Daughter has created another charity for oceanography purposes, you know, because he was all about, you know, saving the oceans because he was a surfer. And most surfers are into that. They're very green and conscious and so forth. I think he would like to be remembered for more than that. The work that he'd done with around the world, because he did a lot of work with Reach Out Worldwide. Cody, for God love him, he's trying to do the same thing. It's very difficult these days with complexities in other countries and so forth. And America standing in the world through this administration. So we seem to have fallen a little bit. We don't get the same respect we used to. With this country has other priorities and so forth. But it doesn't taint what Reach Out World is doing. But if you would ask him, and I know this from personal experience, I'm just doing this because they pay me to do it. You know, I'm not an actor. I'm not trying to be an actor. I'm just a guy who likes cars, guns, and surfing. And if they pay me to be in those movies, I'm going. Uh, on that note, Craig, uh, before we wrap up here and let you go, how can our listeners and viewers here at Vibe 105 uh, stay up to date with everything you're doing, all the projects you're doing, and follow you on social media? Yeah, you can go to my Instagram, Craig Lieberman underscore 42. I should have picked another name for all that stuff because everybody was using pseudonyms back in their day, and I didn't want to be that guy. I still get people telling me, are you re- the real Craig Lieberman? I said, the only thing more pathetic than being me is pretending to be me. Yes, it's really me. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like I'm somebody, somebody. I'm just some dude who was in a movie once. An iconic scene too, Craig. Yeah, that race horse scene. It, it's a legendary scene. Don't sell yourself short on that. For the next two years of that, every time I convoyed with my friends in cars, they pull up to the stoplight. I mean, they go like this. <laughs> and I roll my eyes and look at the other way. <laughs> For two years. And then when we were any, I couldn't get away. I'd be watching the weather in the airport. Uh, this storm front is moving down fast and furious. And I just go, Jesus, I can't oh, get away. <laughs> All right. Once we're open here, here at this bagel shop, the line's going to go fast and furious. So try not to get trampled everywhere, everywhere, once a month. And I just make it go away. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years I, I got away with it for, for like 15 years for 15 years I didn't have to talk about it at all and then after Paul died people started hit me up hey tell me the story okay here we are oh Craig I really appreciate you sharing your time and coming on here on Vibe 105 again to uh, talk all about Fast 10 your experiences and uh, the car hobby and I wish you all the best thanks man Vibe Talks exclusively on Vibe 105